welcome everyone and this is a, another episode of Treasure Island Discs. This is a podcast by the Center of Innovation in Education at the University of Liverpool. I am Tundi Varga Atkins and we have four guests and we're going to talk about Treasure Island pedagogies. One of the things I have asked uh, our guests to identify is a light bulb moment where you felt your students were getting it and uh, talk about what made it happen. So who would like to go first? Can I call on somebody? I'm Catherine Fox. I'm from the School of Dentistry. And my light bulb moment um, isn't quite a definite light bulb moment in terms of teaching, but it was really in terms of feedback. And we're finding that the students were being very self-defensive and not really wanting to take on board perhaps the feedback and engage with the feedback as, as much as we hoped. And I think it was probably when you say the light bulb moment, at the same time, um, Alex Forsyth in psychology, when she was in psychology, released a paper called Thanks But No Thanks for the Feedback. And that's how we were feeling with our students, that they were sort of taking on the feedback, but really weren't looking at it and engaging with it. So um, we then look further into that and looking into the mindsets of the students and really finding the Carol Dweck work on growth mindset and fixed mindset, how interesting that was and how really a lot of our students very much having gone through the standardised testing school system were very much in the fixed mindset and how we try and take them to more to the growth. And also really from the staff point of view in giving feedback. And I suppose from there, once we got from thinking was really what was feedback and do we all agree on that as the staff and the students as to what feedback is and really how we accept it and the best ways of doing it. So I suppose my next stage still in my light bulb that I was having really was then going on and looking at there was American educationalist called Grant Higgins and uh, he was looking at what actually feedback is and the main, you know, the main uh, reasons of what it is. And really it's about the students reaching their goals. And sometimes I'm not sure that we concentrate enough on that, on the students reaching the goals. We sometimes use feedback as assessment or use feedback as giving advice to students. And really perhaps we need to think about it of what finding out from the students what their goals are and then them using the feedback to reach those goals. Yeah, Helen, do you want to add something? Um, yeah, I was going to join in and say my light bulb moment is along those lines as well. So, um, you know, that moment where you realise that the students have got aims of their own and you can help them achieve them. And to some extent, what you might think is the learning opportunity or the learning outcome can only be accessed if the student engages with it and actually says, yes, that is what I want to learn. I agree with you. Yeah. Well, I, I think that was very much it. So thinking of the goals, but then also thinking of the staff and the students, how they give the feedback and how they accept the feedback. So we then started going into sessions for coaching for the staff as to how they were actually giving the feedback and then sessions with the students of how to accept the feedback because the students all wanted feedback of, yes, I've done great, this is really good. But actually when we showed them different types of feedback for them to realize that doesn't really help me. It might make me feel better, but it doesn't actually really help me in achieving my goals. So it was more from, from that side of it, actually educating both the staff in giving the feedback and educating the students in what is good feedback that's going to help them. So I suppose mm -hmm. that's really where that's, I was. That's where I was, was going with my light bulb moment. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds transformational, both for the students and for staff as well, what you described, Kathleen. Yeah, thank you. I mean, if you wanted to to summarise or translate it, you know, um, in terms of wanting to take this learning to your treasure island, what sort of, you know, in a sense, you've already identified your pedagogies around feedback and and theory of feedback and growth mindset and that sort of things. I would like you to identify a luxury item as well for your treasure island, you know, something that will help you relax when you're not teaching and not giving feedback to students. Um, so I would say if I was taking my prop in dentistry at the moment, it's really difficult because we're not able to do dentistry because of COVID. Um, we're not allowed to do any aerosol generating procedures, so we're finding it really difficult. So we are working with simulations so much and we have in the dental school what we all call phantom heads. And they're basically dummy heads that the students are all working on at the moment. And without it, I'd be lost. 
So I would have to take, if I'm allowed to take my phantom head with me. You can, of course. And the luxury item for yourself, you know, because you also need some downtime. My luxury item for me, it sounds wrong in that my dentist, but it would have to be chocolate. But I, I would have to then have my toothbrush. So I was thinking now with the bamboo toothbrushes that you can now get, can I make my own toothbrush on the desert island if you won't let me take two? But I would need the chocolate. Yeah, I think you are definitely allowed. Yeah. Okay, that's brilliant. Thank you, Kathleen. So shall we move? I don't know, Helen, do you want to pick up the ring given that you uh, made a useful insight and contribution as well? So um, hi, I'm Helen. I'm a physicist, but I work at the Central Teaching Laboratory as well. And my light bulb moment came when I was teaching a course called Communicating Science. And this was a third year module. Uh, and it was like a if you like an escape modules often taken by students who had decided maybe physics wasn't for them, but they knew that they would need uh, various skills to actually be employed. And the reason that it, I had this light bulb moment was that I had designed a series of blocks of activity, real authentic challenges for students to complete. And uh, the light bulb turned up right at the end. It was feedback from the students on this course, said one student, I have not been taught anything. Helen has tried on this course. I have had to learn how to present, how to organize my time, how to work in a team, how to communicate in a team, how to write reports, how to make PowerPoints. But I have not been taught anything. And I sat there and I thought, yeah, I've done my job. And from that moment on, I have actually tried to encourage students to learn for themselves. So I don't see myself as a teacher. I see myself as, and it sounds really arrogant, as someone who designs opportunities from students to learn from. And I try and build these scenarios which students have to complete. Um, and along the way, they will learn rather than here is what I want you to know. Because I very much believe that, you know, education is more about being creative and getting to the answer rather than trying to make them conform to a specific way of thinking. And often in physics that can be quite hard because we, we lay down a foundation of understanding and it's only in the third and fourth years that, that that creativity could really come out because without that foundation, students aren't able to make um, you know big leaps in logic or interpret their data in a specific way. So wherever I can, I try to have uh, some form of open-ended inquiry or open-ended activity that allows the students to try out their own understanding of the world, but also learn some other things along the way. Um, and I guess my, my big influence at the moment is Jenny Moon. So it's all about reflection. And if you get students to reflect on what they do, there is a better chance that they recognise they have learned. So this year, that's going to be even more important because they are going to need to recognise, yes, I have learned something, even if it's in a hybrid or remote way. Well, I, I'd really agree on that. And the and what you're saying about the reflection, they need to actually be able to take on board the feedback to then reflect and move forward with it and work on their own development. And that's where the, the sort of issue is with the feedback. They need to really be able to take that so they can move forward. But the reflection is so important. Yeah, and the reflection with that feedback is useful because they can you can identify um, which bits you want to take on board and which bits you can park and use for later. I was going to say, Matthew? Helen, I've um, found that a couple of modules have been really successful um, to get reflection going with the students where I've opened up the journal in Blackboard. I'm trying, going to try and use the ePortfolio in Canvas because I've just said to them, it's a completely blank personal space for you to write things and only I will be able to see it. And what's interesting is that the, the first few sessions I, I, I try and get them to talk about their experience of the lesson or maybe an activity I've asked them to do and post something in there. And I've, I've found it really rewarding when I've then commented on their thoughts and their ideas, they're putting down their reflections. And it's ended up in quite lengthy dialogue. But I've been able to solve problems and answer questions about what I'm trying to teach in that, which I think under normal circumstances, I would have spent ages on emails or trying to explain things in the session. And, and because it's hidden and it's their personal journal, I think the students have been much more willing to write and say, I don't understand or I didn't like that lesson or what was the point of that? Because they're not doing it in front of the rest of the class. Um, 
So that's been positive for me and that sense of uh, giving them an opportunity to reflect. That's great. Yeah, and I think I like the uh, Helen from your example as well, that in a sense there's almost like two light bulb moments, one for the teacher for you, that you know that the student is getting it and then one for them when they recognize that they have learned because your list from that student was so impressive. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, and it, yeah. It, it really helps me to recognize that you really do need to shift as the instructor mm -hmm. and I do see myself more a you know cheerleader on the side most of the time. Um, and just to pick up something uh, that Matthew said there about getting students to write, um, you've clearly never met physics students. Um, the majority, I say the majority, that's not fair, a lot of the students will have chosen physics because they don't have to write essays. So the very idea that they have to write something can be really terrifying. So actually what I'm going to be doing this year is I'm going to be using Canvas quizzes and getting them to rate themselves and then have a text box. And this has a real benefit for me because not only is it a quick set of questions, but it gets them to think about what they want to do and it can be a little formative assessment about what they've done in the laboratories. In terms of your treasure island, so precious contact time for students, what are your pedagogies, music albums or teaching props, luxury so items that you would like to take? Um, my teaching prop feels a bit like a luxury item today, um, partly because we had rumours that it was going to be rolled out last week and this is the remote access to the computers on campus and this particular thing will allow our students to log in to our detectors in the laboratories and actually take data. So instead of having 150 students on campus, which is what we would normally do in our laboratories, we can actually provide the same experiences, but the students can be wherever they are in the world, but they can still use the equipment. So they still get to plan their experiment and actually do the experiment themselves. Um, so fingers crossed, uh, that's not going to be a luxury and that is actually going to be my teaching prop. So if I am allowed a second luxury, uh, so I get my teaching prop. Um, my That's a teaching prop. Yeah, my, my luxury will be the um, the stash of yarn that I have. I'm a, a king crocheter and, and uh, since lockdown I've made three scarves, a blanket and two jumpers. So I'm hoping for another two jumpers before Christmas. That's very well timed for the winter. Is that one that you're wearing now? It that is, I've got a, a, a scarf. This lovely. is my, my first lockdown scarf. Um, <laughs> But uh, as somebody said to me, you know, crochet and knitting, it, it's not a hobby, it's a life skill for the apocalypse. My family will be warm this Christmas. Okay, excellent. Thank you so much. And um, whose uh, Treasure Island are we going next? Um, I'm Matthew Fitzjohn from Archaeology, Classics and Egyptology. Um, Teaching-wise, teach from undergraduates through to the master students across, um, you know, geographical and period specific content, so covering classical Greece, um, through to practical archaeology modules or field, uh, involving field work, and then some of the research skills modules. So in terms of a light bulb moment for, for me, it'd be quite easy to think about some of the practical classes where I feel like when, when students are doing hands-on things, they there's there's often a sense of, oh, wow, they suddenly understand a concept and, and it, it's, be much more difficult for me to get those light bulb moments in research skills modules and and even the period or um, geographical specific region modules so dealing with ancient Greece so it's because those modules tend to be lectures followed by a seminar um, or a couple of lectures a week and so my, my light bulb moment has actually come in the last um, four or five years and, and comes from outside university, and it's now something I've brought in to university teaching. Um, and it all starts with, um, I'll introduce my luxury item now. Um, I have a large version of it here, uh, but it's these, um, if you can see them. Wow, so so um, can someone say what you see? It looks like huge Lego. So it's, it's a, actually, this is actually a Lego box container. So all my colleagues in the department are probably sick of me talking about Lego. I've been doing a research project where I've been going into, or, or it's part of a, my research, going into schools and supporting teachers uh, teaching about ancient Greece. And it's connected to an impact project. 
And one day I went into, a, I was there to teach about um, Greek buildings. And, and then I was dragged into another class on um, ancient history and it was about politics. And the students were talking to me about different um, political ideologies. And, and so I gave them Lego and asked them to stop talking and to build what they wanted to talk about in Lego. And the way they responded to that task and the way they represented ideas of democracy or oligarchy or tyranny, um, I was um, amazed that these 15 year olds were that creative, much more creative than I thought I could have been. So anyway, inspired by this activity, um, I started taking large quantities of Lego into my university classes. And, Excellent. and I, I found it's been helpful in a variety of different ways. Um, if I give two examples, first is teaching about, so if I've given a lecture about um, the development of the Acropolis and, uh, and then next class we have a seminar on some feature of the Acropolis, I've normally taken Lego and asked the students to build what they learnt about the previous week and then talk to me about it and what what was significant in the reading they've they've uh, done on these on these buildings and these kind of social and, and historical significance. So that's been a great way to get students to start conversation and reflect upon the things that they've um, been learning about. And I should say, as the module goes on, they're clearly practicing out of class because their constructions become much better and much more realistic by the end of the module. Um, but I've also found it useful in the skills modules, the research skills module I teach in the uh, master's level, because some of the sessions there where I, particularly the, the give you an example, one of the first ones, I, I ask the students to reflect on what they want to learn. Why are they doing the MA? What do they want to get out of it? And I, in order to get that stage, I say, so where are you now? Who do you see you are? And, and what are your aspirations? And what are your aspirations for the, for the MA? And I, before they talk, because they're broken up into small groups, they have to build something in Lego, which represents who they are and where they want to be and what they want to get from the class. So um, that has turned an activity which is quite difficult to commence and to get people to reflect and to open up um, into something that's quite fun. So, and, and much of this is based on the idea of learning through play, which is typically adopted for kind of nursery and primary level education, but I think it can be applied to any level of education. Um, and, and so that is my kind of, mm -hmm. my inspirational moment. Fabulous. Mode. Yeah. Catherine, did you want to say something? Yeah, I was just saying it's it's quite strange. We we brought Lego in when I was talking before about um, helping the the staff learning to give feedback. We had a staff training day, and every table at the staff training day was full of tables of Lego, and we all had to build different things. And it was learning to give feedback to each other and everything. And so, actually, Lego play is coming in in lots of places. It was yeah, really correct. useful. Wow, and I think the other connection between the two examples you both gave that it's uh, Matthew, you were talking about goals and aspirations and and Catherine, you mentioned that as well. In, in, in fact, that's what you were trying to focus on with feedback is where the student wants to get. What are their goals? So that's another nice connection. Fantastic. <laughs> OK, Matthew, can I ask you then in terms of your treasure island, what would you like to take? So my luxury is the Lego. Um, because at the moment, I'm not sure how I would use that on campus other than, you know, industrial cleaning afterwards um, of the lake. But yes, um, true. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's probably not. But I, um, but I've been thinking about other ways to be creative. So the luxury is the Lego that I would have. OK. What about teaching props or or things that you want to focus on? So we were asking about pedagogies and yeah. I, I think it is. Um, I'd still like to maintain this idea of play and being playful, particularly. Mm -hmm. In this um, in this moment where students are going to spend a lot of time you know, even if they are coming onto campus, they're going to spend a lot of time on their own or trying to learn through these online environments. And I think those sessions are going to need a lot of um, fun and activity in them. So I think that idea of playfulness will be important. 
Mm -hmm. That sounds great. Thank you. OK, that's fantastic. I, I am wondering whether Minecraft or some online Lego building could be or unless people have Lego at home and they can use their yes. own Lego in front of them. <laughs> OK, thank you. So uh, James, can I call on you then to share with us your light bulb moments? Yeah, so I'm James Cooper from School of Environmental Sciences. And I suppose my light bulb moment came when I first started at Liverpool about eight years ago, and I was asked to take over a particularly difficult module. And this module is called Catchment Hydrology, and it's, it's, um, it's teaching geography and environmental science students about really how water moves around the landscape. And I guess this is kind of fundamental to any geography and, or, or environmental science student to understand water, how it moves, because it impacts things like flooding, water quality, through to how much water is in our oceans to how much rainfall there is. And of course, students study this from a very early age, you know, so from primary school, they study the water cycle and they continue that all the way through to if they do A-level geography or A-level geology. But often one of the difficulties that students well, were having before I took on this module was trying to understand why on earth you would need to know all of this and what kind of practical application there is for understanding where water is within the uh, landscape and how it moves around, how fast it moves around and where it ends up going to. And so my kind of light bulb moment came when I realised how powerful authentic assessment is, which, of course, you know, we're all being asked to do as part of Curriculum 2021. But I really realised how powerful it was to um, is to convince students that catchment hydrology was of some practical use and that they needed to study it. And and so I suppose I just wanted to talk about two examples of, of how I kind of felt um, why I, I thought that these experiences really went well. And the first one was was trying to get students to understand how the Environment Agency developed these flood risk maps. You know, if you go online, you pop in your postcode and it will tell you what the risk is of flooding in you for a particular house, even to that kind of level. So it's kind of showing them how do the Environment Agency actually build up those map maps? How do they model them? And then once the Environment Agency has all, the, all of this information is then what do they do with it? So the example we got was, the, was to, to model a particular a town in, in Lancashire called Ribchester and they had to um, um, run a flood model to work out where the water went within the town. And then they had to look at the risk, the flood risk to a, um, a proposed residential development and to see whether it complies to the national planning policy framework, i.e. whether it's in a low risk area, is it adjoining um, an existing urban area and, and, and so on. And the light bulb moment came when really when I was reading the, the EVASYS feedback was to actually, for the first time, they were sort of, sort of saying to me, ah, that's why I need to know where water is and how fast it moves and where it goes to. Because if we don't have that information, then I could potentially buy a house that's in a high risk flood zone and be suffering for the rest of my life. And I guess it's a light bulb moment for me because I kind of then realized that I could just keep applying that kind of same model to any kind of module that I do. And so it's really powerful for me. And then I suppose the light bulb moment in terms of students was just seeing and hearing from graduates when they said, oh, I've got this job as a flood risk consultant and I went for this interview and, the, and we got chatting about this particular project that we got you to that um that they got we you know I got them to to complete and they had to then explain exactly what they did to their prospective employer and I, I then realized that you know it's really it's 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 getting geography and environmental science students who you know it's a non-vocational discipline so there's no real clear career routes there's a lot of development of generic skills but can you get them to experience a particular career area? And then, you know, some may absolutely hate it, but, you know, then at least they know that's not a career area they want to go into. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or some might like it and realise, ah, I could start to specialise more in that. So, yeah, that, that's my light bulb moment. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like it was a win-win situation for everybody. That's uh, that's amazing. Thank you. And, uh, I mean, in in terms of the aspects that you would like to take to your treasure islands, what would they be? Teaching props and luxury items and so on? Well, I think in terms of a teaching prop, a field class is of paramount importance, particularly to geography students. And, and thankfully, you know, within this hybrid model, we can deliver those 
those field classes. Not residential, unfortunately, so you miss out on some of the sort of social aspects, but we can still take them out into the field, get them to experience uh, the environment, see how it operates, see what environmental problems that are and so on. So it definitely couldn't be without a, a field class. Mm -hmm. OK, I think Helen is nodding and Matthew, I think all of all four of you <laughs> were nodding at that point. <laughs> uh, and a luxury item for you? Well, if it's a luxury item not related to teaching, it would have to be a pair of running trainers. OK, yes. sounds great. <laughs> been great in lockdown to get out and about and well frankly to spend some time away from the kids for a bit as well <laughs> yeah i think <laughs> I, I think, love them it is nice to get outside and run around and, and get some of your frustrations out so yeah i think that's definitely was you much needs yeah okay sounds great i think that definitely granted even two pairs of trainers if need be <laughs> <laughs> okay thank you everybody so that was um a lovely roundup and I think we can probably roll on to the next discussion. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the, the interesting things that's come out there is, you know, we, we know that we want that authenticity, whether it's, you know, a phantom mm. head or it's, uh, you know, a real um, set of data. But one of the things we, we're all nodding about is that field trip. So I, I'm I know for myself as physicists, where do you go as a field trip? Well, we tend to go to the top of mountains where we've got beautiful night seeing with a telescope so we can take data that way. But and I suppose in a way that authentic live experience is very similar to the hands-on experience the dentists have. So it's about how we're going to recreate that field trip or, you know, real life contact um, in a hybrid situation that we're, you know, a lot of the disciplines that have required field trips or hands-on equipment are, are sort of, I wouldn't say struggling with, but we've had to be creative. And it's interesting that we touched on this idea of play um, as well, where, you know, we've had to be creative within the constraints we've had. And it's because we are creative people, even though we might have been boxed into a specific discipline, but if we weren't creative, we wouldn't come up with the answers that we do. And that creativity has really come, uh, come out, and certainly in my colleagues, how are you going to overcome this problem? Right, tell you what, Gaffer tape and blue tack will make it work. Right, proof of concept done. Let's make it something more sophisticated. So in a way, we've got the same problems, but it would be quite nice to talk about um, field trips or, and things like that, because they are something that students see as being quite a, a transformative experience. I know I've been on the top of a mountain with students using a professional telescope, and you can genuinely see the wow, I'm going to be an astronomer and the oh, this is what astronomy is. No. And you can genuinely see the, the moment where the student turns into the discipline specialist, if you like. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and so those are going to be moments that we need to recreate in a hybrid model. Mm -hmm. So shall we unpick this? So there seems to be a lot around the field trips, whether it's the practical elements, whether it's the disciplinary realization or whether it's the social or the fun element that you all need to have you know it's it's not necessary that we're just here to learn it's a it's about the social experience and the shared experience is so important and the human connection the play having fun and you know um yeah educate that's how I, I suppose it's education is the wider terms i would sort of really echo that i think it is so important having it's the whole student experience really isn't it it's not just the education the learning it is the social side it's it's all of it and you know now at the at the moment we are doing a lot of simulation with our students and we'll hopefully hopefully get them back to um seeing patients soon but absolutely what Helen said, the one thing that I've noticed so much in our department, and I'm sure it's the same in all the others, is the creativity of the staff in mm -hmm. actually, you know, going through all these things. We've had sort of simulated cases. I'm sure you're, you know, you've been doing in, in every other department. And I think that has been a, a great side, of, you know, of COVID that people have been able to express this creativity and come up with different things that they wouldn't have done before. But I think it's the one bit of the learning experience that we all crave for for our students, and I'm sure they do, that they actually do get some field work, some practical, some all together as a group and, and actually see that side of university as well. And I suppose it's for us, how do we get as much of that as possible? Yeah, I think this idea of being creative, yeah, I mean, it's so important at this stage to really see this as an opportunity. And we've seen, because we can't run our residential field classes, which could have gone to really nice exotic places like California or Portugal or 
or wherever, we've had to obviously look to our local region for field days within an hour or two hours. And I think this actually really gives us the students and staff, I have to say, an opportunity to really appreciate the range of different landscapes that are within within our locality and for students to understand um, the context within which they're studying, being able to understand um, what the environmental issues are, this particular focus that I look at, but also in terms of the human geography, looking at the social, political and economic situation within the within the um, Merseyside region. And so, you know, rather than in, in some case where students can feel that they're just restricted to the campus and only really know something about the city, it actually gives students that opportunity to experience those kind of broader issues. Um, so, you know, I, I think, you know, although for, for, for geography and environmental science students, residential field classes are kind of like the most attractive element. I mean, if, you, if you're in an open day, you talk a lot about field field classes. Um, I still think in these field days, the, so the plan will be that rather than having a, a one week residential field class, we'll have field days one day every week. And we do hope that, um, you know, they'll still get some of the social aspect not going to quite get the same but they will still meet a range of staff and they'll obviously meet the whole the whole of the cohort all at once and i think that's a really important part also of being of having that that, that outdoor space to accommodate large groups which of course unfortunately the indoor spaces can't at the moment mm -hmm. So, Jess, you've given a really interesting examples of the creativity of how you solve the, the, the issue of fieldwork in your area. But also picking up on Catherine's other points about the and Helen's other point about the how it, it seems to have brought also staff together. And can you give examples for that as well, if that resonated with you, for instance? Well, I think in terms of trying to figure out some suitable sites for doing fieldwork, yes, it, because staff are distributed across the region, often in different areas, we've had to kind of like say to them, well, do you know somewhere local to you that might be useful for us? So, yes, it has brought us together in that respect. Yeah, mm -hmm. sharing local knowledge has been useful. Mm -hmm. Matthew, did you have similar? Yeah, so um, we were, our students, our current um first and second years, who, sorry, going into second and third year now, will have missed field work at the end of their, their last year and during the summer months. Um, so most international field projects were cancelled and then the, the project that one of my colleagues runs locally was, was cancelled. So what we've been um, developing over the summer is um, field work that's taking place next week and um, the week after for different year groups. So we, we were trying to think, should we space this over the first semester? Um, but we ended up with a kind of condensing it into a two week period um, for the current second years um, as the archaeology students. The first years, um, we're taking all of them, whether or not they signed up for an archaeology degree or not. They're going to um, Nest Gardens for different types of activities that are all field um, based. And I think picking up the points that other people have said it's it's be great for the archaeology students because it's really related to their degree the content of modules but I think for all of the students it there'll be it'll be a positive experience because it's about creating a sense of kind of a program cohort or a subject cohort even if they're not going to do archaeological fieldwork afterwards and so staff, staff have been happily I hope planning this all <laughs> summer and, and um, most staff are either going out to nest gardens or onto the field sites, or if they're like me, we're doing some um, online computer sessions and things like this to kind of balance when they're in and out. So, I mean, that's been the one thing that obviously we can't take all the students to the same place at the same time. So we're having to do kind of two days on and, and two days off. Mm -hmm. So we're just finding those other activities. And then I'm we've been trying to devise some activities for Liverpool that can take place during the year so that they can just go out in small groups on their own and go and do some activities and report back in say week six with their findings of their activity. But I think that's getting students out of the classroom will probably happen more now than um, we have in a, in a normal year just because mm -hmm. it will be easier to organise that. I think the other thing that will be really important about all the sort of field trips and things we're talking about is making giving the students a sense of belonging 
So because, you know, they're going to be very much online in their rooms doing this. And at least if they're coming out and doing those, we, they will hopefully feel part of the university and feel part of their courses. And, you know, that's so important in the long term success of a student is whether they feel that they do belong. So I, I do think that that is going to be so important in that area as well. Do you want, I was going to ask this and I'm, I'm going to also bring in the remote students or students who might not come on campus, but before that, can you share some tips that you, you or your departments have, have put in place around involving students and trying to create that social cohesion, belonging and cohortness? That might be nice if to share. Helen? Yeah, so um, we typically would have a, um, you know, a set of equipment per student and they would do an activity, but there may be like 10 students doing the same activity um, or we'd have students working in pairs. So one of the things that we've shifted to is actually more group work quite deliberately, not just so that we have enough equipment for the entire group to do the same activity at the same time, but also because it will foster a sense of community. Um, I think the majority of uh, departments, please correct me if I'm wrong, will be working in sort of bubbles of, you know, 10, 20, 30 students or whatever. So there's going to end up being an identity to each bubble as well. So um, we're looking at providing a, um, if you like, a bubble tutor, the sort of first point of contact for the uh, the students in that bubble with a person but uh, the general shift towards more group work is one way we're going to try and foster that especially with our second year students so the second years of course have met each other and we should never forget that our second and third and in my case fourth year students will have met each other before and will have met us um, so in a way we can capitalize on that in terms of they can work with people they've met or not met um, but in terms of the first year, a lot of effort is actually going on in this week and next week in the Welcome Week and Foundation Week to actually um, create a way of uh, introducing the department and introducing you know, students to each other. So a colleague of mine has set up a, a treasure hunt in which students will have to go and find various things on the internet, find codes to watch videos and then another code, etc, etc. So I'm quite impressed with that. Yeah, that sounds great. Other ideas? We've um, tried to, so several colleagues have been working together to devise a, we've got some programme level um, activities going on now that will structure each semester in the whole year. Because we're aware that, so many of our modules, students will come in for lectures and seminars, they'll come in for in a new environment, they'll come in for certain activities, but they won't necessarily see the whole cohort, they could be in quite small groups. So we've been trying to develop programme level activities that are separate from the, um, the talk components of the degree, but will still add some value to the degree because it'll create that sense of community. Um, and so this ranges from, um, we've, we're building in the attendance at the special research seminars we're putting on that will have more of a student focus so it'll be guest speakers but we're focusing on having them for an undergraduate or postgraduate experience and then a range of other activities and, and like Helen's they start from foundation week so we have a quiz and we have the activities out at Nest Gardens and around other things on campus and then hopefully that will create a good framework that the students will realise that they're kind of part of a, a larger community. They're not just on their few modules that they're taking, maybe the 20 people they interact with, but they they might come together as so many of the events at the programme level might be online like this, mm. but they'll recognise each other or they'll go off into small groups and, and have activities. So I hope that will really enhance at the department and programme level um, what is part of this kind of hybrid learning that they're going to be experiencing now. Mm -hmm. Great. James? Yeah, I mean, it's not really a solution, but kind of raising a potential issue that's concerned me. I mean, obviously, we've all spoken about the need to get students together. And as I said earlier, we're quite fortunate in the field classes enable us to do that. Um, but the, the I suppose the, the worry for me is actually students meeting all of the staff, the teaching staff, and face to face, I mean, um, in the sense that I, I worry about um, about students just seeing somebody behind a screen um, and not really 
understanding who they are, what their personality is, and not just having that kind of banter or chat, that an informal chat that you would otherwise have had. So one of the things we've been considering, and it is very difficult with the, the restrictions about the use of school buildings, is, and it sound, might sound really quite perverse, but it's to try and get students to come into the school buildings. Um, so, you know, providing additional PCs, for example, for, for students. So rather than studying at home, they'll hopefully come into the the teaching centres that we have, albeit obviously at a distance, so that they could, you know, happen to see a member of staff as they come in and out of the building. Um, because although we don't want them to bump into each other in the corridor, of course, because that wouldn't really comply, but we do want them to see that there are staff around and we do want them to, to understand who we are and what our personalities are and the kind of modules that we teach and so on. And because I would say even our second and third year mod, uh, third year students may not know all members of staff just because they have quite a wide choice of modules and they can go on different pathways and they can actively mm -hmm. avoid staff mm -hmm, if they mm -hmm. want to um, within those pathways. But certainly for those first year students, if they're going to, if the majority of the time they're going to see a member of staff as we are seeing each other now, then then you know I, I, that that kind of personal connection, I, I worry about it, and I suppose. I kind of open this up to everybody here and is this something that others have considered in their own schools and how they could overcome this? Yeah I, th I think the the one thing we've done just done at the beginning is to try and get all the staff to do a flip grid little you know introduce themselves this is me so at least the student knows the name to the face and who they look like and a little bit so we try to get the staff to all do that and for the first year students to do it they've not been quite as enthusiastic at putting themselves out there which I can sort of understand but just to try and have a little bit of a sense of community but I understand what you mean completely unless unless they see you and you know it, it's more difficult to have that you know have the conversation and get to know you so I mean we are bringing students in as much as we can do but within the restrictions obviously that there are. Yeah, that's a lovely idea, Catherine. That, that, might, that might be worse. I don't know if you can share the Flipgrid or um, I don't know if you've used it, but you said so I think what you're saying, James, as well. So uh, I think especially because staff will be wearing masks or visors and the visibility, yeah. it is nice to have that visual prompt even between students because they will be wearing masks to just have a prompt of who people are and what they but the other thing yeah, I, I think, James, what, what you were saying, sorry, Catherine, is is this loss of the, you know, the photocopier type discussions, isn't it? The impromptu, serendipitous and being almost like that vis invisible visibility of the department around the students is what you, you're saying. Sorry, Catherine. Yeah, I, I would just say with us having already been in the buildings with the students as well, when everybody is wearing masks, it's hard for everybody to recognise each other. And so you are, you know, you suddenly think, is that, was that somebody you thought because they've gone past with the mask on? So that definitely, it, it causes some issues. And also, I don't think people, even if you had the photocopy a moment, when you're both wearing a mask, it's like when you meet people in the, you know, the supermarket, right? People aren't as keen to talk to each other yeah. when they're both wearing so that does put a little bit of a barrier up there as well. I don't know, Helen or Matthew, is this something you've um, thought about or? So we thought about and we we did something anyway um, in um, welcome week where all the students from the first year would come to a lecture theatre and every member of staff had to stand up and talk about themselves for one minute so that they got to see everyone because you don't necessarily teach until semester two or you might or your teaching might be second and third year so we're we're moving that online um, we haven't thought about the Flipgrid which I think is a great idea um, but we're doing something like that so there's a, a two-hour session on Wednesday where the students get to to see us and aside from that I think the um, the student society we've got a really strong student society in the department and they are organising all sorts of imaginative types of social interactions. So we've been grateful that they're doing a lot to create a mm. sense of community amongst the, um, the student body. And then they're inviting us in for events. So we're hoping that um, that will work well, that it's something that's student led, but that we can participate Fantastic. in. So it's not us controlling everything. It's a bit strange. Um, I, I will confess that I have concentrated 
um, my work this summer on how on earth we're going to transition, you know, hours and hours of laboratory work um, mm. into something that is hybrid. So um, my colleagues are the ones that are leading the sort of social interaction and community. But what I've actually been part of is building a national community of physics educators, which takes it to the other side. So um, I noticed that there was a bit of a gap, which was, oh, my God, what are we going to do? What's everybody else had as a problem? And I contacted um, our national body, the Institute of Physics, and we set up a series of meetings over summer and we've actually got a load of our own podcasts, if you like, video recordings of what other people's experiences have been, including what we're going to teach next year. So we've actually built a community that way where we had a, you know, a common problem, um, people that were really interested and it's built up from the ground up and it's even had a spin off for postgrads. So I'm feeling fairly confident that with a little bit of effort, the students themselves can actually build, start building the community. And as Matthew says, you know, invite us in. So, uh, yeah, I, I've got every faith that we can do it. And we've probably got a better platform now because you don't have to wait to put people in the same place. You can be in the same place very, very quickly. The, with this, you're referring to? It's sort of like Zoom and Teams. And yeah. So you mean that time. students can also initiate those spaces? Is that what you mean by them? That's yeah, that's right. That's right. And, um, you know, no longer can you say, oh, I'm not on campus. I can't come to that staff meeting. It's it's very easy <laughs> to actually attend staff meetings and other meetings. And um, it's it's about trying to get the informality of it, though. So, if you know, starting these meetings with a 15 minute tea break or you know ending it early so you can have that tea break or you know and that, those informal interactions we've mentioned they're going to be lost but they can be put back in and I'm trying my best to instigate sort of like a virtual staff room for my colleagues you know a, a virtual downtime where you can turn up and go oh my god what what happened to you this week this is what happened to me and it's something that um, I know that physics A level and GCSE teachers have been doing um, throughout, you know, they've had a 45 minute sort of meeting, if you like, of people from across the nation to share ideas. So, you know, mm -hmm. I, I'd advocate that as something as much as we want to build a community within the students, we need to keep the community in the staff as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, th thanks. And that's actually when we had a, a trial last week with socially distancing seminars. Um, with colleagues and we had some students. I remember now I want, meant to say, Catherine, it was the students were actually wearing a name badge on their, you know, like a, um, like a sticky label with their names on, which was quite helpful, I think. So that might be something to consider whether staff members or, or could do that or when, when you are in a small group setting for initial, you know, getting to know each other. Uh, but yeah, I think they did mention this, Helen, as well, that what they, have done or in in one of the I think communication and media does it that they have an academic advisory meeting but then they um, either before or at the end have a half hour which is the academic advisor le leaves but then it's it's that the meeting slot is there for the students to socialize a little bit either before or after the meeting so that's how I, I think they they were trying to solve that so thank you so much that was really interesting um, the discussion around that social cohesion and I, I suppose one one questions that we keep getting and you must be also considering and thinking about and I, I will make this into almost like the last final question is we also know that some staff might not be ready to come on campus and also that some students might be shielding or not yet arrived to Liverpool and it's how to I don't know in terms of your cohorts, whether you know who they might be or how you might uh, try and involve or what, what is your thinking and your creative hats uh, that you've brought to the, this situation? It's less about a solution, but more about trying to raise what the issue is. And I suppose yeah. the issue with um, remote students or that those students that, that, that can't come on campus for face-to-face -face te teaching, it's not about them setting tasks or, or assignments by which they can meet the learning outcomes. I think that's relatively straightforward. I think it comes back to the student experience. It's, it's, so we were talking about field classes. This is a classic example, isn't it, of where students that go on a field class on a, on a field day, hopefully, if we do it right, are going to have a really nice experience. 
and um, and we can we can ensure that those students that don't turn up to those field classes meet the learning outcomes, but they're not going to get the same experience. And I think we have to be upfront with the students to let them know, you know, not hide behind that and and pretend that in some way the experience is going to be the same, but to say, look, you know, this this is your choice, um, and you know, and this is what you'll experience if you're out in the field, and and these are the things that you're going to miss out on. Yeah not going to um, in any way uh, be negatively impacted in terms of the potential grade that you can get for that module um, but sadly you will miss out on, on those kind of experiences and the only really you know and it is, it's not that innovative unfortunately but it's only just to video the kind of activities that they are doing out in the field so that at least they can see how you know a piece of equipment is used and how they take measurements uh, and, and so on and to, to provide online guides about how to, to do that kind of field work but it it goes back to that kind of social cohesion it, it's that interaction with the, the tutors and, and with their peers that they're going to unfortunately miss out on. Mm -hmm. So um, we've done quite a lot of work to have remote experiments as I mentioned before, we're going to be using the university's remote system so that students can actually take data from wherever they are. So hopefully students who are self-isolating or who can't travel to campus can still get that aspect um, in their learning. Uh, and we're also looking to send equipment home as well. So we're going to be sending some kits home again so students can do things on campus or if they want to they can come in and use their own kits which um as matthew indicated before you know cleaning lots and lots of lego is not something um that you want to be doing and it's even more hard uh, more difficult when it's very expensive optics and or electronics so you know we can send home boxes of lego or in this case electronics and um, but one of the things um we won't be able to replicate is that sort of you know um, if you like politeness in the lab, the thou shalt not steal from the experimenter next to you sort of behaviours. And we're taking a very programme level approach to this. This is hopefully going to be the one year where it's really, really bad. We, I can't say it's going to be perfect next year, but by taking a programme level um, approach, you know, OK, we might lose something next this year, but what can we build back in next year um, to make sure that the students get those experiences of how to behave in a laboratory, um, for example, can actually happen. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Helen. Thanks. Thank you. Any other thoughts? Yeah, um, I suppose all our students are back because they're clinical ones. They have, you know, those they have all come back. And I suppose all I would say is that it's different but you get used to it as a member of staff, you know, and as the students and they very quickly get used to the new norm. I think the one thing that we've learned is that you need more staff to help you move the students around. You definitely need staff there. And also whatever you thought you would manage to do in a teaching session, reduce it by probably a third. Because, you know, when you've got all the uh, infection control procedures and the students just getting used to it and you can only bring so many students in at one time, you know, bringing them all in through the locker rooms as we have at different times. That's that's one of the things that we found that you can't actually achieve as much in a session. So you've really got to think about your hybrid and your blended learning, as in what do you want them to have done beforehand that they can have done online to prepare themselves for the actual teaching session you've got and so that you can really link the two together and the students know if they haven't done their online work before then this session isn't going to be as valuable as it would have been and you can really link the two so you know the students have really engaged the staff it's been tiring it's been hard work but we're getting there but that's you know once you do get back and in into the swing of it I, I think everybody you know is managing fine so I, it's, it's difficult the first few days you go in it seems very strange but then it does start becoming just, as everybody says, a new normal. Mm. I think you're not the first one who says it is tiring because you are, yes. Uh, and I think we've also found that in the trial that you can only do less, fewer things because also of the yeah. turn taking and listening. And so, yeah, that thank you. Yeah. Is there any final? Matthew, did you want I to? I was just going to say, going back to the one of the points about, you know, the balance between the students who can't come onto campus and those who can. Um, at the moment, so there's one large module I'm running this semester is, is for master students, and, and we don't know exactly how many students will 
will come and those who won't. And so I've been trying to create activities that would happen away from the timetable. So in terms of discussion boards and extra sessions where they can meet so that it's part of the module, but it's not the formally timetable component so that the students who might not be able to come on campus still have some class time because the thing that I worry about is the logistics of trying to involve them in a live session are pretty difficult and so I wanted to make sure that there are alternative types of experiences that they can have as, as well um, with the whole cohort. Um, relatively easy because it's only a class of about 30 students it's much more difficult when it's the classes of, of hundreds to try and think around that um, solution unless you could find within your large class a, a group of students who aren't able to come on campus and you can put them together or mix them together but some of these things we won't know until everyone's registered um, yeah. and is finally on campus or, or decided to say that they're not on campus. So it's, it's it, mm -hmm. we've been thinking about how to do things, but nothing's been formalised yet because, of course, we don't know. I think what you've demonstrated is that you're all considering and it's 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 all a, a, a partly it's a waiting game as well. But I think let me just bring it this back and with with a closing the discussion, because I think you've been all excellent and thank you so much for for creating this lively and and energetic debates. And I think it's the creativity I will turn back to because you 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 brought this as an idea of how this period has has made you creative. So I would like you to think of actually maybe taking either a luxury item or a teaching prop of someone else from this room here and see if you can make use of it. So we had phantom heads, we had um, uh, Lego, James, you had well, I remember the trainers and what was your yours was a field trip and Helen, yours was the lab, remote lab, was it? I'd like to cheat and take a little bit of everybody's. So the, the ticket for our department, it, I think it'd be, you know, that some students really want the field work. Others, it is the logging onto the PC centre so we can teach together um, and, and they can access data. And I, I think, you know, to fit into that hybrid teaching experience it, it is going to be sharing knowledge and sharing different practices that we might not normally experience or students might not normally experience and 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 taking bits and trying to put them together to create a new type of teaching experience certainly for our, our department it will be like that so that was cheating really saying a bit of everybody we like that it's very sustainable again reusing and curating we love it <laughs> anyone else um, rather than the actual Lego, which of course would keep a lot of physicists very happy for, you know, years. I mean, mine's still in the loft. Um, for just as an aside, um, my husband and I knew it was true love when we combined our Lego sets. You know, you, you were never gonna <laughs> you were never gonna separate it. Um, but actually I would like to take the concept of play. Um, because I do believe that, you know, that, that concept's a very valuable one when you are dealing with, say, complex data sets. You have to have an imaginative um mind when you're you're dealing with any data sets. So I'd like to take the complex take that sort of um, concept of play um with me as well please right yeah i i would agree with the play and in fact the very first session we had with our students coming back in the building they were obviously you know apprehensive the staff were apprehensive and so that is what we said our first session they were doing we gave them tasks to do but we said play and you know and just to make everybody feel more comfortable and then more comfortable our first session was play what, what plague, if you give us an example? Well, Alves was with the phantom heads and they were going to be practising doing things, but we really said, do what you'd like to, do what make you feel comfortable. You know, as a dentist, you need to pick back up your, your drills and everything. We just said, do what you want and just play and feel comfortable and get your confidence back. But I, I think very much for all of them and the staff, just till everybody feels comfortable again. It's definitely a, a good way forward. That's a lovely opening. Yeah, thank you. James, do you want to pinch anybody's? Well, Final word? pinch a bit of a light bulb moment, I think, and that's on, on reflection and feedback. And I think, 
you know, particularly for, for the incoming students that haven't been in formal education for what coming on for what, six, seven months now or eight months when they arrive in Liverpool, it, it's it's the, that first time when they get their feedback through Turnitin and it's ensuring that we support them when they read that feedback, you know, help them interpret what, what we're trying to say and what the purposes of that feedback and ensuring that they do reflect, you know, even on, you know, when they get some criticism, because I think when they do get, well, not criticism, but they get some constructive feedback is they won't be used to getting that, of course. And it might be quite a shock, particularly because they all have a bit of a learning shock when they move to university anyway. So it would be thinking about how we can ensure that they feel supported when they get the feedback, ensuring they reflect in the right way when they read that feedback as well. And I think that's perhaps something that we need to, to think a little bit more about, particularly through, so we have like study skills modules where the students will have tutorials every week. I think that might be an opportunity there to go through the feedback as it comes through with their tutor and ensure they understand what it is we're, we're trying to say in that feedback. Excellent. Thank you so much. I think this this brings nicely to the end. So we had creativity, play, reflection. Um, so thank you so much for your contributions and we will say goodbye to our joint from our joint treasure islands which i loved being and sharing it with you so thank you very much